you would open your Bibles to um, Mark chapter 2, please. Mark chapter 2. I'm going to read the first 17 verses. We'll talk about them. And uh, here's something we do at Gospel Peace Church is when the scriptures are read before the sermon, whoever reads the scriptures says, this is the word of the Lord, to which the congregation replies, thanks be to God. Can we try that? This is the word of the Lord. Oh, you guys are good at that. I like that a lot. Okay, so I'm going to read the scriptures, and then at the end I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith... He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the, sitting at the tax booth, and said to him, Follow me. And he rose, followed him. And as he reclined at table in, in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we look to you for help. Lord, we need you to open up our minds and hearts to the truth of your word. Sink your word deep into our hearts. We would know it, believe it, and stake our lives on it. Thank you that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness, not mine. So I, I dare not 
trust the sweetest frame, to wholly lean on Jesus' name. It's on Christ, the solid rock, that I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. We look to you, Lord, our rock, our redeemer. We trust in you and in you alone. We thank you for forgiving us of our sins and accepting us as sinners. Declaring us righteous based upon your son's righteousness. So examine our hearts today, Lord. Search me, and, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's look to the word together because this morning because the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. There's a book that was published in a series by a man named C.S. Lewis. Heard of him? One of the books in this series is called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. In that book, there's a boy named Eustace, and everybody hates him, and he hates everybody. I see a lot of smiles. That's good. This boy, Eustace, is selfish, he's mean, and nobody can get along with him, but he finds himself magically on a boat. The boat's called the Dawn Treader, and they're taking a voyage. At one point, this boat pulls in up to an island, and Eustace wanders off and finds a cave. The cave proves to be filled with diamonds and rubies and gold. He thinks to himself, I'm rich. And immediately, because he is who he is, he now thinks it's payback time. Anyone who has laughed at him, stepped on him, slighted him, will now get their deserved punishment. Eustace then falls asleep on the pile of treasure, which he doesn't yet know is the hoarded treasure of a dragon. Very good. And because he falls asleep with the greedy dragon's thoughts in his heart, when he wakes up, he becomes a dragon. Big, terrible, and ugly. Soon he realizes there's no way out. He can't go on the boat. He's going to be left on the island alone. He's going to be horrible dragon all of his life. And he falls into despair. You see, Eustace got exactly what he wanted, didn't he? He wanted wealth. He wanted vengeance. He wanted to get back at the people who, who he hated and who hated him. He wanted life improvements. He wanted all things for himself. Turns out, it's not what he wanted after all. In our text today, we're going to see a man who thought he knew what he wanted, but Jesus is going to give him more than he asked for. We're also going to see Jesus approach a group of sinners, cheaters, liars, swindlers, fakers, and Jesus is going to give them something more than they deserve. We're going to see two points today. 
Jesus has authority to forgive sins. Secondly, Jesus has the grace to forgive sinners. So first, let's take a look at this. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. He's become so popular that when they gathered at the house, there was no more room. Not even in the doorway, verse 2 says. What was Jesus doing? Well, he was preaching the word to them. Remember, that's the reason why he came, to preach the good news. Chapter 1, verse 14. Then four men came carrying a paralyzed man. They get to the house, but they can't get in the door. It's just jam-packed with people, and nobody's moving. You're beginning to see that the crowds in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, often restrict access to Jesus. One commentator says this, despite Jesus' popularity, the crowds are not a measure of success in Mark. They constitute outsiders who stand either in ambivalence or opposition to Jesus. It's like they're just there. And sometimes they're like in the way, it seems. What about you? Are you just a part of the crowd? Are you just here Sunday morning, just here? Not really a committed disciple. I mean, I believe in everything, but I'm not like all in. You're just trying to access some of the benefits of being close to where Jesus is working. Like a consumer looking for what can benefit me. This can benefit me here, and this can benefit me here. I get to decide on what I'm going to do. It's like the difference between proximity to Jesus and dependency on Jesus. It's the difference between, at least the way it's presented here in the next chapter, the crowds, they're just in proximity, they want to be close to where Jesus is working, and the disciples who are called to dependency on Jesus. Where are you? You just live in proximity to Jesus, or you, do you live in dependency on Jesus? Everything is for Him. Teens, kids, do you love Him with your life? Do you love him because mom and dad love him, or do you love him because you love him? That's a question that the reader will need to wrestle with as we move through the Gospel of Mark. We're not going to cover the whole book, just so you know. Are you a true disciple of Jesus? Who is Jesus? These two big questions in Mark. Who is Jesus, and will you follow him? So, since these men can't get to Jesus in this story, they have a great idea. One of them says to the other one, this is my translation, have you seen Mission Impossible? And they're like, yeah, seen it. Let's lower him through the roof. Easy roof access is not uncommon in the first century. Digging through a roof, uncommon in the first century. So they dig through a layer of thatch and compact layer of dirt. You can imagine the commotion in the middle of Jesus' teaching. Dirt, rocks falling from the ceiling. Not quite as sneaky as Tom Cruise, or whoever he's calling Tom Cruise. They made a big hole enough to lower a paralytic through with his bed. 
How will Jesus respond to this? Interrupting his teaching. Look at verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Wait, your sins are forgiven? Okay, I'm not sure if you noticed Jesus, but the man can't walk. Like, the man's on a bed because he's paralyzed. He's heard all about your healing. Just heal him. What's this about? Your sins are forgiven. Then enter the scribes. Look at verse 6. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Yeah, you're exactly right. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You're not able to forgive sins that weren't committed against you, right? Sins are ultimately against God, so only He can forgive sins like this. Your sins are forgiven. It would be like someone else forgiving the person that offended me. Only I can forgive that person that sinned against me. So when sin is against God, God is the only one who forgives. Only God can forgive sins. So Jesus responds to the questions and question in their hearts. Because he perceives in, in his spirit that they question him. Look at verse 8 and 9. Why do you question these things in your hearts? He says. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Okay, pause for a moment. Think, answer that question to yourself. Answer that question. Which one's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or is it easier to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Maybe it's a trick question. It's actually easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? Because there's no, like, immediate proof. It's only hard to say your sins are forgiven because it's blasphemy if you're not God, and people will want to kill you. So it makes it hard to say your sins are forgiven. So it's hard in that sense, but it's easy to say because you can't immediately prove anything that you forgave the sins, right? It's easy just to say it. But probably it's harder to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk, because that demands immediate proof. Anyone can say your sins are forgiven, and then everyone just looks around like, okay, I don't know, right? But if someone says to a paralytic, rise, take up your bed, and walk, everyone turns and looks at the paralytic, and they're like, okay, right? Let's see it happen. Then look, keep reading. Look, what, look in verse 10. Now you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all. They all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Jesus heals the paralyzed man. Why does he heal them? Why does he heal him? Because he wanted them to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to heal people. Is that what it says? He wants to show them that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus can forgive sins. So therefore, Jesus is God. 
He has authority to forgive sins because He is God. Sins are ultimately against God and Jesus forgives those sins. Jesus is God. What do you believe about Jesus? It's something you can't, you can't be, you, it's something that you need to be sure about. Even the most secular people will say that Jesus still has effect on culture today. What do you think about Jesus? Who is Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that, do you believe in the Trinity? One being, three persons. Christian, do you believe in the Trinity? Do you know how to explain the Trinity? Well, no, no one does. It's too complicated. No one knows how to talk about the Trinity. It's too complicated. So, just, we just won't even talk about it. How about that? This is the core belief in the Christian doctrine. And it's under attack, just so you know, all over the place. You had better know what you mean when you say that you believe in the triune God. One being, three persons. Eternal, co-eternal, co-equal, and consubstantial. One being, three persons. Well, Trinity's not in the Bible. Yes, it is. Jesus is God. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Trinity is shorthand for saying those three things, plus a little bit more. The Father is not the Son. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. Distinct persons. Here's the seventh one, though. There's one God. One God. You believe it? The LDS religion and other major religions around the world reject the doctrine of the Trinity. In fact, there was a couple that moved to Logan, Utah from California. And in the Lord's kindness, they ended up at Gospel Peace after about a year and a half of living in Logan. They came out of the United Pentecostal Church, which is Unitarian. And we had joy and privilege to explain the Trinity to them and to see their eyes light up with joy. Like, yes, that makes sense. You heard anyone ever say that about the Trinity? true they were both baptized in the logan river and into the membership of gospel peace church hallelujah praise the lord why does jesus forgive sins he forgives sins on the basis of christ's work on the cross he forgives sins when he sees their faith you see that in verse 5? Sees their faith and says, Your sins are forgiven. When Jesus sees these men believe in him, he forgives the sins of the paralytic. They weren't just passerbys, skeptical of Jesus' authority. They weren't just standing in the crowd observing or trying to catch a quick favor. No, they really believed. So I say to you believe in Jesus, trust in him. Your sins are forgiven by faith. Jesus didn't say, I see your works of righteousness and holiness, your sins are forgiven. He sees their faith. 
Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, right? But according to his mercy, he saved us, Titus 3. Let me ask you this. Are your sins forgiven? All of them? Are all of your sins forgiven? Like, are you accountable for any of your sins? Any of them? Or has somebody paid for all of your sins? Massively important question. Did Jesus die on the cross for some of your sins? Did he die on the cross for all of your sins? I've heard people in the LDS faith say things like, you do all that you can do and Jesus will take you the rest of the way. I've heard others say something like, no, Jesus will take you all the way, but then in the afterlife, we'll see how you measured up with your works. A little spin on that, isn't it? Did Jesus die on the cross for just enough of your sins to get you up to a certain level of glorification in the afterlife? Or did he die for all of your sins so that you might be directly with him in the highest and only level of heaven? With the Father, with Christ forever. The LDS faith says you can work your way up to the different levels of heaven. Glorification is the way they say it. Exaltation. If he only died for some of your sins, then which ones did he die for? And which ones do you need to suffer for? That's what they say. You suffer here on earth to become more worthy in God's eyes. Well, which sins did Jesus pay for then? In one sentence, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. All of them. You know that's the most important thing you could ever ask for? Would you ask him today to forgive you of your sins, all of them? Admit your sin before him? Turn from sin and follow him? Maybe this is your first time here. Or you're exploring biblical Christianity. May today be the day of salvation. Turn from sin and follow him. That's what repentance means. It's a turning from following one thing to following him. From following my sin, from following myself, to following Jesus with my life. It's more important even than a paralytic Rising and walking. Surely, one author says this, surely this man would have been resting all of his hopes in the possibility of walking again. If I could only walk again, then I would be set for life. I'd never be unhappy. I would never complain. If only I could walk, then everything would be just right. And Jesus is saying, my son, you're mistaken. The euphoria won't last. The roots of discontent of the human heart go deep. I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish. You know what Jesus is saying to the paralyzed man? I'm not going to play that rotten joke on you. I'm not just going to heal your body I'm gonna, and, let you, uh, and let you think you've gotten your deepest wish. I'm going to forgive your sins. That's your biggest need, actually. Jesus will satisfy. Nothing else. But if I just had... Only Jesus will satisfy. Jesus is God. He stands ready to forgive you of your sins. Not only that, not only does Jesus have the authority to forgive sin, but he has the grace to forgive sinners. And I'm, over, I'm past time, so sorry. 
classic, you know. So here I am again. They're all glorifying God and all in wonder. And he goes to a well-known, wealthy tax collector to his home. He says, follow me. And they go to his home. He gets up and follows him. These people have sinned against Jesus blatantly and regularly. Jesus hates sin. But he also stands ready to forgive. And when he forgives sin, it's not just this debt that's out here. It's not just that. He forgives sin and he accepts the sinner. See that in the text? He goes to the home of the tax collector and sins. Chapter 3 puts it this way. He calls whomever he desires. Chapter 3, verse 13. He doesn't just want to cancel your sin. He wants you. He pours out his grace and forgiveness so that we may have personal relationship with Jesus. We get God. Place your trust in him. By faith. Believing. Do you believe that you actually need a savior? Do you believe that you're actually a sinner in desperate need of grace? Let me show you one thing. This is a, uh, a quote from Russell, Russell M. Nelson, the LDS prophet, president. I want you to think about this quote and just think, how, what, do I, what do I believe about this? The gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of repentance. Because of the Savior's atonement, his gospel provides an invitation to keep changing, growing, becoming more pure. It's a gospel of hope, of healing and of progress. The gospel is a message of joy. Think about that. The LDS faith, they overlap. If there, there were two circles, Christian and LDS faith. The LDS faith overlaps so much in morality. It's like this part right here where they can't drink coffee. They overlap so much in morality. Okay. But their theology overlaps, they just barely touch. Because they have the same language, different dictionary. And that's where it's hard. A pastor friend of mine in uh, Syracuse, Utah, this is his response to that. Listen to this. If you're one of my LDS friends, you need to know that I love you and this isn't the gospel. This is law and it can't save. The gospel doesn't give an invitation to do more. Paul tells us that if we are the ones who work, we will receive our wages. And our wages are death. Romans 4 and 6. The gospel says it is done. Jesus obeyed the law and died in our place for our sins. So that we are the righteousness of God by faith alone in Christ alone praise the Lord we have such good news for people it's a weight they can't bear and we get to tell them that their sins can be totally forgiven every one of them and you get the righteousness of Christ praise the Lord the doctrine of justification thank you Virginia Beach Theological Seminary Remember that boy, Eustace, that turned into a dragon? 
You got everything you wanted, right? You didn't despair. One day, the great lion Aslan shows up, leads him to a clear pool of water, and tells him to take off his dragon skin and jump in. Eustace begins to gnaw and claw off the scales when he realizes that he can shed, that he can shed his dragon skin. Working at it, he finally peels off this skin. But to his dismay, he finds underneath he's got another dragon skin. He tries a second time and a third time to no avail. The same thing still happens each time. In the end, the lion says to him, you're going to have to let me go deeper. And here's how Eustace tells the story later. Eustace says, I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you. But I was pretty nearly desperate now. The very first tear he made was so deep. I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling off the skin, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the, the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I had done myself the other three times. Only, they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobby looking than the others had been. Then he caught a hold of me, threw me into the water. It caused a sharp pain like anything but only for a moment. Then I saw, I turned into a boy again. For many of us, it's hard to read without weeping. It's going to hurt for you to confess sin. Jesus wants to go deeper. He wants to dig deep into your life. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, and he has the grace to forgive sinners. He stands ready to forgive. Would you call on him today? Would you give up your life and follow him? Jesus forgives sins, and he accepts the sinner by faith in him alone. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that you work in our lives through your word. Please, Lord, cause many to come to know the truth of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness of sins and your acceptance of sinners. Thank you that we get to boldly come before your throne that is called the throne of grace where we can find mercy and help in time of need. Lord, you're so good to us, undeserving sinners. Thank you for loving us. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.